0: Romans 12, we dug in a little bit to this last week, verse one, therefore I urge you brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I shared this last week, but it bears repeating. that I don't believe God was being redundant. When he asked Paul, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, he pens these words, his good, his pleasing, and his perfect will, that he was being redundant. I believe that he was actually suggesting that there is a perfect will of God, the sovereign will of God, and we talked about that. Actually, that's been two weeks ago, and we're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks, the actual specific sovereignty, the sovereignness of God and what that means, and just as importantly, what it doesn't mean. Then there's this thing, this acceptable will, this pleasing will of God. So sovereign is like the big picture. You're on this cruise ship. God is steering the boat. The acceptable part, the pleasing part, which we're going to talk about probably next week, is what am I going to do while I'm here? God, do you want me to go to Africa? God, do you want me to help the Lorakas? God, do you want me to take this job, marry this person? What is his acceptable will? What is his day-to-day will for your life? But then there's the good will of God. What is good and what is bad? What is that? And if the way we know this isn't from within, but from, from God renewing our minds we're being transformed, that's what we're going to talk about today and this is maybe more important than you realize or some of you you realize that it's important. there was a while back um, it wasn't that long ago I was teaching while we were still at the high school before the Lord graced us with this amazing gift and and that morning I said I was talking about Satan's original sins his sin was pride right pride I, I want to be like God. I, I'm, you know, I'm the guy. Why does he get all the worship? It's what, you know me, pride. And then it talks about the point where he said, I want to rise up and be equal with God. That equality was his thing. And so I, that day, I, you know in the in the garden uh, when it says that Eve, ate, you know, it was of the knowledge of good and evil. That's an implication, an indication that it wasn't good and evil. It's now she that man will get to decide what is good and what is evil. So I said that day that if pride and equality are your call letters, whether it's me personally or whoever, that's probably a bad sign. Because that's Satan's original thing. And that's not just a specific group of people. That's all of us. If it's about pride and me saying, look, God, I'm going to jump on the throne. I'm going to say what's good and what's evil. And this young lady who was visiting that day hit me like a beeline right after with her little camera phone, looking to do like a gotcha thing for the, for the YouTube Right, to say, oh, I'm in, I'm in Nashville, I'm doing the country, and this pastor just said that pride and equality I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa back up. Before we, you know, if you're gonna do the YouTube thing, gotcha moment for your 14 Instagram followers. Um, I think it was actually eight, it grew to 14. Um, I want you to, we gotta have a conversation, and then you, whatever we talk about, then you post the whole thing. I would ask you to do that. And so, I asked you that day, so you're offended for your friends who are in the homosexual community, but are you offended for your friends who are pedophiles? Are you offended for your friends who have been in adultery? Are you offended for your friends? And of course, she wasn't. And I asked her then that day, I was like, so okay, so your heart is, that, that, that there's a, a decision um, that they, that they, in their hearts that they, they were born in a certain way and so that now they're gonna act on this behavior. And so I posited the question. So I'm a grown man. I, uh, I like women so what would stop me from bringing home an extra woman and inviting her into my home and, it, and my wife's cool with that and, and she said uh, and I appreciated her honesty because it was intellectually honest at least to say that you know what, if, it's, if everybody's consenting then that's fine. There's a Christian girl born and raised in the church who was saying I'm going to decide what is good and what is bad based upon what I feel is right not on what God says is right and I know there are young people in this room and if your parents you're thinking oh gosh I can't believe if they're riding a school bus I promise you somebody has beat you to this conversation if you haven't had it already if they're sitting at a lunch table if they have Netflix if they watched the MTV music awards they've had this conversation in their mind whether you knew it or not It's important that we have some standard that says this is good and this is bad. There was a while back that someone um, wrote me an email. The new way you know somebody's leaving a church, by the way, is if I get unfriended on Facebook. That's the new, like the ceremonial unfriending. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Actually, I'm kinda not. Um, generally, there's a meeting, but this, this was an email of a, of a young man that I've known for years, and we were going through Romans at that time, and, And his struggle was, he said, you know what, I just can't accept that God would be like that. And so I'm, and he he ended his words with, I'm not going to go uh, to church to to find what is good for me or God. I'm gonna search, this was his exact words, I'm going to search from within to find what is, who who God is and what is right and what is wrong. That was two years ago. And uh, I feel like it's an important conversation I feel like it's important for me and for you because our kids, again, your kids are gonna have this conversation with you. What is right? What is wrong? How do we decide? One of the preeminent, I believe, proof existences of God in general is morality. That there are certain things that we know are right. And how can we know that they're right and wrong? How is it that Richard Dawkins, who is not just an atheist, an anti-theist, can say and make an argument for pedophilia. Google it, he did. And he did it with a straight face because there is no morality if there is no God. It's the right and the wrong start somewhere. And I don't know everybody in this room, but if we can start from that vantage point of saying that, hey, there is good and there is bad in this world. If, if I killed Daniel Bass this morning, we would say, hey, that's really frowned upon in this. We. <laughs> We shouldn't do that. If we take a vote, we probably all say that. There are certain things that we would say that are, actually Galatians says, are obvious. This is an obvious act of the flesh. The stakes are incredibly high. The stakes are high not only because of our nation on a grand scale, but on your nation, your family as a whole because when I jump onto the throne and I begin to decide what is right and what is wrong, understand like when I went to Bible college in backslid, which I did with fervency, I at least had the acknowledgement and a recognition that it wasn't right. What's happening, the, the difference, the nuance is not subtle in that it's no longer saying that it's right or wrong, it's saying that I feel a certain way in my heart and so I'm gonna behave like that because that's how I I feel like I should be. I was that's me. I just can't help it it's who I am to be that. The stakes are high because if that's it Proverbs 14 said that there is a way that seems right unto a man but its way its end is destruction and it's death. Now I want to park for just a second and say what I believe is that your sin my sin when we have accepted Christ, when we have received the forgiveness that he has offered us, I am 100% forgiven. I'm forgiven for everything I have done, everything I will do, everything I am doing. This is not a conversation about your relationship with God if you are in Christ Jesus. Kids, understand that, okay? That your relationship with God is certain. He's not angry at you. Any anger that God had towards sin is dealt with, that's why he had to die. A sinless man came and took the punishment, he cashed the check, you're forgiven perfectly. Am I clear about that? If you're a teenager especially, understand, there's nothing you can do to earn God's love. There's nothing you can do to get out of God's love and you're you're perfectly forgiven. I wanna make sure that's clear. So Paul would say, Jesus died, went to all this trouble, why not get your money's worth? Get his money's worth. If you haven't thought that yet, you're gonna think it. I did, in Bible college, I'm like, if you've already done it in your heart, you might as well get your money's worth. Jesus said, if you looked at a woman wrong, you, you've already done it, you might as well. I'm thinking, that's bad theology. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible theology and it turned out terribly for me. Just like it did for you or is doing for you right now. To take this way that seemed right to you at the time, this way that, you know, I think I can get around this and this way that seems, man, you know what, God, I'm already forgiven, I might as well. James three, thirteen. you could write it down and go later, says that there's only two kinds of wisdom. There's wisdom that comes from God and wisdom that comes from demons. That's it. I would encourage you to go read it later, James chapter three, it's like verse 10 or 13, somewhere in that area. That's why it sucks so bad when you screw up in your life because the, the wisdom that you did to make that decision wrought destruction in your life, not in your spiritual life, but in your personal life because that wisdom came from demons. John 10 says that the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Not just that he comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. That he only comes. That's it. That's his, um, his mission statement. It's on his business card. He gets up every morning thinking about how he can destroy you. How he can steal from you. How he can kill you. Not just literally, although that is true, but figuratively as well. And so when I, when you make decisions... To go again and say, hey, God said this was good, or God said this was bad, and I'm going to say, eh, you know what, I appreciate your thought there, God, and your enthusiasm, but I'm going to go ahead and do the other thing. The destruction that comes from that, and it's a little bit of what I want to, I guess, park on today, is the understanding of what it is, what are the works of the flesh? What is this thing called sin? And why is it, if God already paid the price, why, don't, why would I even worry about it? Now, if you've got your Bibles, please do turn to this. Galatians 5, verses 19 through 21. And if uh, you've got your little magic devices, um, your magic Bibles, you're already there. And I think we're going to have it on the the screen behind us. In verse 19, Paul says this. And here's what I want you to do. I'm going to read this list, and I'd like for you to look for yourself in this list. Because you might be like me and say... You know, adultery, fornication, phew, I'm good, good, check, wait, oh wait, uncleanness, crud, Idolatry, ugh. So you're, you're gonna see moments of this on your life right now. The works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hang on. That word in the original language, in the original Greek is the word pharmakia, from which we get our word pharmacy, from which we get drugs. Should marijuana be legalized? That's the wrong question. The question is, is it holy? Moving on. Hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath. Have you had one of those lately? On the way to church, (laughs) in the parking lot. (laughs) You spilled all over my, selfish ambitions. Ooh, this is like a list of of descending order for my heart. Dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, Oh, got that one. Drunkenness, revelries, and the like. And some of you are reading some of these words, you're going, Darren, you're going all King James on me. Let me read it to you from the message interpretation, and maybe it becomes more clear, and maybe you get to see yourself in this in this mirror of scripture. It's obvious, he starts in verse 20 or 19, what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex, a stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness, trinket gods, magic show religion, paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never satisfied wants, a brutal temper, an impotence to love or be loved, divided homes, divided lives. I mean, we could stop right there. There are people that you know that I know and some of us have made these decisions and it divided our home and it divided our lives. I'm preaching to the choir. You know it and I know it. Small-minded and lopsided pursuits. Ooh, I've been to that rodeo. The vicious, listen to this one, the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival. Have you read the comment section of YouTube lately? Have you watched it? Well, certain news channels. All the news channels, I guess, the more I think about it. Uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions, ugly parodies of community. I could go on, he says. So now that we got that out of the way, <laughs> what do we do? Because if, If you read that and you think, yeah, that's totally me, I have totally thrown something across the room. I've totally screamed at my wife. I've screamed at my children. If you're a youth and you have done something that you don't want your parents to know about and so all of a sudden your home, listen, is divided because now you've got a secret from mom and dad that they can't know because I'll get in trouble. And this wall comes up and it's slow, but before long this thing is built and the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. In the garden, when Adam and Eve partook of the fruit, it destroyed their relationship from each other. They're throwing each other under the bus. Look, it's that old lady. She did it, God. You know as well as I do. It destroyed their relationship with God because they're hiding from him. That's the key in this. And so I'm reading this list. You're reading this list. Maybe you've experienced this, and I promise you, if you haven't experienced it, whatever path you're on of making decisions to pursue these types of behaviors, your salvation is secure. God loves you so much. He took the the penalty, he cashed the check. I want to reiterate that over and over again because I want you to know that part. God's not mad at you. But he hates sin because of what it does to you. God hates sin because he loves you. He's not a buzzkill. He's not trying to keep you from having fun. He's saying, look, I'm kind of back here looking down and going... You do this; it's going to happen this way, and this is going to happen. It's going to all unfold here, and before you know it, I'm not talking to my wife anymore. Before you know it, we're just strangers living in the same house because I've been prideful, because I've decided I'm going to. It's my way or the highway, and then suddenly, the marriage is falling apart. And suddenly, you know what I'm? It's. So what do I do? You're like Darren. I get it. It's I'm there now, and even if you're not, please stay with me. I would love to tell you that I believe. I believe that God has given us the secret to this. He's given us the principle and the truth in a story of Abraham. In Abraham, in Genesis, in Genesis chapter 16, God made a promise to Abraham. He said, I'm gonna give you a son. I'm gonna make you into a great nation. If you've been around church for a while, you maybe you've heard this before. And by chapter, I think it's 21, Abraham did, it's been several years have passed since the promise and what did Abraham do? He did what I do. He helped God. You're gonna give me to be a great nation. I gotta have a son. And I know you said I was gonna have a son, but I mean, you know, if you looked at Sarah lately, she's kind of old. So now what do we do? So he takes Hagar, their bondwoman, their maidservant, and he has relations with her. And a son is born. A son named Ishmael. Now fast forward to chapter 21. Abraham's heart is breaking. And it's breaking because in the middle of this, God keeps his word, and Sarah miraculously has a baby, Isaac. And so here we are. It's like 20 years later now, and Ishmael is a a teenager. Isaac is about two, three years old, just a little peanut. And it says that he, that Ishmael was mocking him, threatening him. So much so that Isaac's life was in danger and so God told Abraham through Sarah to send Ishmael and Hagar away. Now, I want you to think with me. How many of you, if you're a teenager or a young man, or woman, have you seen the Bear Grylls? Do you know what I'm talking about? Right. On the TV, the survival, they drop him in the, in the wilderness, and he has to survive. And... So you understand the implications. If I were, so I'm Abraham, and I'm like the Donald Trump of this day. He's very wealthy, and I'm going to send my son, my son, and I'm going to send him into a desert to die I'm not going to do that. I'm going to load him up with camels and provision and things and uh, an entire parade to make sure that he is provided for, that he has provision for he and for Hagar that I would send them off into this desert because it was a desert they were sending him to. But he didn't. It says that he had just like a couple loaves of bread and some water and he sent him into the desert. Now, if you're Bear Grylls, you're cool. You're going to make it. But this wasn't Bear Grylls, it was Ishmael and his mom. And it's recorded that by the time a couple days that they find themselves in a place where the water's gone, the bread is gone, and they, he basically, they, uh, mama sits Ishmael under a tree where it would be shaded so he could die and that she could die and not have to watch him die. This story is a symbol. It's an allegory of, the, of what this thing, this flesh this thing that wars against me that I want to do what's right and for some reason I make decisions that, I, that are stupid and I regret them later. This vignette is a picture of that. And you're like, Darren, you always say that, like this is a story and this is a picture of this. How do you get that? How do I know you're not making it up? Go to Galatians 4. I hope you've got your finger in Galatians still. Just one, one page over. For it is written, verse 22, that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and he of the free woman through promise. Look, verse 24, which things are, look, are symbolic. I'm not making this up. The best way to interpret the Bible, let the Bible interpret the Bible. He's saying that these things are a symbol, that this thing that Abraham went through 3,000 years ago from today was a symbol for them and a symbol for us. Verse 24, which things are symbolic, for these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar, for this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, speaking of the Ten Commandments, speaking of the law that we could never keep, speaking of why that Jesus had to come, because the minute you have lied once, how many times did you have to lie to be a liar? That's it. We couldn't keep the law, it was a terrible schoolmaster, was what Paul said. But he says on then that, uh, that Rachel, sorry, Sarah. I'm gonna skip down for the sake of time. Go down to verse 28. Now we brethren, as Isaac, are children of promise, but as he who was born according to the flesh then persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, even so it is now. Even so it is now. Now, you're thinking, Darren, this still doesn't make any sense to me. Hang with me. He's saying that this life that Abraham lived became a story and a symbol for us. That Hagar represents the law, the Ten Commandments, that I could never, I couldn't keep those, and so Jesus came and paid the price for all of that. And that Ishmael would result, it was the the flesh, like our fleshly tendencies, the things that make us want to do that list in Galatians five. But that Sarah would represent grace, what, what, what Christ did on the cross and in his resurrection brought us forgiveness, and that Isaac would represent the spirit that is inside of us. And just like then, it is today. Your spirit inside of you wants to do what's right. And grace has provided the forgiveness so that even when you blow it, you're still forgiven. And inside of you also is your flesh, your Ishmael, that wants to do what is contrary to God, that persecutes, that wars against the spirit inside of you. And so what do we do? Verse 30 tells us, nevertheless, this stuff doesn't matter. What does the scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. Every day I wake up, I have the opportunity. There's a war going on inside of me. Galatians would actually say, or Paul would say in Galatians 5, I think it's 16, 17, that the spirit wars against the flesh, and the flesh wars against the spirit. Every day, every decision I make, one wins, one doesn't. There's wisdom from God, and there's wisdom from demons. Which one do I take? How do I? And especially if I'm in the middle of something that I know this is stupid, and I know I shouldn't do this, and I'm doing it anyway. How do I win? He says, "Cast out the bondwoman. Cast out Ishmael." Now, does that mean that I just stand up here like I grew up in this world? Right? Okay, dear, and I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. I rebuke that spirit or whatever. I, I, look, I did that for years until my rebuker was broken and nothing happened. I ran a lot of laps around the church and my heart stayed the same. I think there's a ticket, though. I think there's a key in this that, that really blows my mind. He sent, listen, he sent Ishmael and, and Mama Hagar out with no provision. Maybe, maybe that's why in Romans 13, it says to put on Christ and make no provision for the flesh." What am I feeding every day? What, did, did anybody in the group around the 80's, you kids are gonna love this, and do, you burned your rock and roll CDs? Come on, so, surely to God you guys did that. You get, bring them out and the guy played it backwards. There used to be records where if you played them you could like turn them backwards and then the, the dude would come through town and he'd, oh see there's the Beatles and he said, he said Satan. I'm like no, he just said I, said. I didn't. No, no. See, it was Satan. No, I, I swear I didn't hear it. Come on, did you do? I swear. And I, then I went to college and I had to buy them all back again, which was, <laughs> thank God for, thank God for pawn shops because they were cheap. Here's why I can make fun of that now, and and, I, and it's kind of silly to me, was I was asking, we were asking the wrong question. The question wasn't, is it Christian or is it not Christian? The question was, is it holy? So I can make these simple labels and I burn this, but then I'm going to go live like this whole other way where I'm not living in love and I'm, you know, living because I was focused on this thing and nobody really told me the why of it. Nobody said that what you're doing when I'm partaking the windows, the eyes of the window to the soul When it speaks of the word being meat and milk, it's sustenance, it's food. When I'm taking something in, I'm either going to feed my spirit or I'm gonna feed my flesh. And you don't have to be a rocket scientist to know that whatever you feed the best, feed the most and the most often, is gonna be the strongest one. If I had two dogs and I'm feeding one every day and the other one is I'm starving, who's gonna win if they get into a battle? the one that's been well-fed. Put on Christ, make no provision for the flesh. So when I, when you are making decisions tomorrow morning, heck, this afternoon, making decisions on what you're gonna watch on Netflix, making decisions on what I'm going to listen to in my Spotify playlist, who am I feeding? Am I feeding my spirit? Or am I feeding my flesh? This is not legalism. Legalism is when I take something to the scripture and add to it and now make a new rule. In the Garden of Eden, what did Adam, uh, Eve say to the serpent, said "Uh, God told us we shouldn't eat this, we shouldn't even touch it. That's not what he said. What he said was don't eat it. She added don't touch it, legalism was born. So don't confuse being legalistic with being holy your sins are forgiven, they just are. We can celebrate that. But if I choose to continue in that way, there is no such thing as a victimless sin. The choices I make, there are consequences that are far reaching. Even the ones that I said, I'm just it's a secret one, nobody even knows about it. But yet a little wall went up in your marriage. Don't tell me there's no consequences. Not out of guilt or shame, but it's saying, look, I don't want to have these consequences. I want to throw this off. I want to starve and send Ishmael away and strengthen my spirit. So then it isn't even behavior modification. It's I'm feeding my spirit, and my spirit's growing stronger, and I'm understanding grace and the forgiveness and who I am in Christ, and the stronger that part of me gets, the weaker the other parts get. So then it isn't a behavior modification thing the stakes are high, there's a way that seems right unto a man, but its end is destruction and death. And if you don't ask me, and you don't believe me, maybe you believe Saul. Saul was the king of Israel. And Saul had been told by Samuel that when you go to battle against the Amalekites in 1 Samuel 13-ish, to destroy them all because they're gonna come back and kill you, you, need these, you will regret this, you, they, they, they wipe them out, get them all off the face of the earth. And it, it's recorded then in 1 Samuel that here comes Saul back into town celebrating and he's got a man with a collar and a chain behind him. It was the king of the Amalekites and Samuel comes out going, what, what is this bleating in my ears? That bleeding was like sheep, which if you've owned sheep, that bleeding is a little annoying. And he comes running out, and Saul says, this is the trophy. I've got it completely under control. It's just this one guy. And Samuel says there in that chapter, 1 Samuel 13, I'm almost positive that's where it is. He says, don't you know, listen, that obedience is better than Sacrifice. Why would he say that? Why would Samuel say that obedience is better than sacrifice? Maybe it's because 2 Samuel chapter one, Saul is now battling the Philistines. And he has been wounded and a man comes with a sword and stands over him to kill him with the sword. And Saul says, look, before you kill me, I wanna know your name. And this young man didn't say his name, but he said to Saul, listen, he said, Saul, I am an Amalekite. Obedience is better than sacrifice. God saw ahead to something that Saul couldn't have known and didn't see and wouldn't. The consequences were far reaching. The Amalekites, like the Edomites and the halfway in between Anites, were constantly at war, constantly trying to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. This country of Israel, of which Jesus would become the enemy, of course Jesus wanted them dead. Of course he wanted them wiped off the face of the earth. Because then Jesus couldn't come. Messiah couldn't come. You wonder why there's such war and contrast and battles going on today? Don't tell me there aren't consequences. 3,000 years ago, Abraham tried to help God and a race of people were born that to this day are trying to kill. The war between Ishmael and Isaac continues. You saw it on the news this morning. It was one little thing, just one little guy, one little thing. And the waves began to flow. Abraham is in heaven, Abraham is a saint, he would be transfigured, he's forgiven, it's fine in God's eyes, but there were implications, there were consequences, and I'm asking you as a church, I am begging you as a church to take a look at your life and where can I, like Paul say, hey look, I'm forgiven, thank God I'm forgiven, but should I just go on sinning? He said, of course not and to look at your life, and I would encourage you today not to start with the behavior, but start with the food. Start feeding your spirit, and I believe that the behavior will follow. Start and continue to feed your flesh, and the behavior will follow. The works of the flesh are obvious. It says in Galatians, he would go on to say, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, and joy, peace, long-suffering, patience. Doesn't that sound like a better life? Doesn't that sound like a better option? Doesn't it sound like God said, look, if I'll tell you what's good and what's bad, it's not because I'm being mean, it's because I'm trying to help you. It's not because I'm trying to be a buzzkill, it's because I want you to have peace, and long-suffering, and joy. Not just in heaven, in the by and by, but now on this side of heaven. Why do you think Paul could write, I've had much, I've had little, I've been in prison, I've been out of prison, but I've learned that I can be content. Not because of his behavior, but because he could do all things, it says in Philippians 4, through Christ who strengthens him. Put on Christ today. When you walk out here, as we begin to worship, if our musicians would join us again, would you begin to look into your own heart and say, I'm not gonna hang on to this Amalekite in my life anymore. I'm not gonna feed it, I'm not gonna clothe it, I'm gonna send it away. And this week, I'm gonna look at my Spotify list, I'm gonna look, I'm right in the middle of a series on Netflix, should I finish it, should I not? Who do you wanna feed? Who who do you wanna feed? So when the behavior happens and you're like, I can't believe I did this, I'm so, ah. Maybe you've been feeding the wrong guy. Maybe you're feeding the wrong girl. Kids, you guys have lots of options of things you're looking on, on Instagram and the things around you. There may be some friends, listen to me, there may be some friends you need to unfollow this week. Not because you're being mean, because that's just, that's not good food for me, for my spirit. Maybe there are some uh, TV things you've got recorded on the DVR that you need to go home and delete. Not because of legalism, because, you know, that's just feeding the wrong thing in me imagine what it would be like the next time you have the opportunity to blow your stack. (laughs) The next time you have the opportunity when you're around kids and, and you end up taking that drink of alcohol that you wouldn't have, imagine what it would be like the next time when you had the strength to say no because your spirit was stronger. What would a church be like if our families were united because we were feeding our spirits? What would our church, what would our community, what would our family, what would our children be like Feeding ourselves on the, the, the good food of the word. Saying, you know what? I'm, I'm going to enjoy some worship music this morning. I'm, gonna go to, I'm not going to go there. I'm going to go to the throne instead and feed that. Not a legalism thing. I'm not even telling you what's good and what's bad. You notice I haven't even mentioned any shows yet? I'm asking the Holy Spirit to tell you because he spoke to me. There's stuff in my life that I, today, will go and say, that's feeding the wrong part of me. I need to let it go. Father, would you give us wisdom and direction? And one more reminder of your grace. We are righteous in you. I stand before you accepted. I stand before you righteous. Thank you for that. And Lord, Now in my heart, would you show me the things that I'm doing on this side of heaven that have implications, that are sin, that are creating consequences for my brothers and sisters around me, for my wife, for my children. Would you show me what those things are that I'm feeding, where the food is coming from and just like Abraham, to cast out the flesh and make no provision. It's in your name, it's in the nature of who you are that I pray, amen.